Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. The title of this podcast is Calculating Short Circuit Current Rating of Equipment. This episode, we're going to cover short circuit current rating of equipment with Bill Brooks. Bill Brooks has been in the solar industry for many decades and knows everything about solar and energy storage. He writes the codes. He does consulting. He's a busy guy. And here he is on this podcast. To have fun and learn more about solar and storage, go to solar, S-E-A-N, that's solarshawn.com. What we're going to discuss right now are going to be fault currents, short circuits, things like that. Short circuit current rating. That means how many electrons are going to rush at you when a couple of wires cross. Ouch! The short circuit current rating is what it's called, SECR of equipment. The short circuit current rating of equipment is basically how much current the equipment can take in a fault, and it's all based on how much fault current is available from generally the utility. That's what we're worried about because the utility has far more fault current than anything PV. Now, we do have high fault currents in ESS equipment as well, and so on the DC side of ESS equipment, we can have very high fault currents. On the AC side of utility services, we have very high fault currents, and we're worried about those fault currents damaging equipment. And so the overcurrent devices that we choose have to be properly rated. So for instance, let's just use a commercial example. So a commercial building may have a utility service where the utility has limited their fault current to no more than 65,000 amps, okay? So the service equipment's gonna be rated for 65 KAIC. So that's gonna be the ratings on the equipment. 65,000 amps and the question is okay I'm going to go from that equipment I'm going to go to a, some other sub panel where I'm going to have a bunch of breakers in there that are going to go directly to the PV so let's say it's at the main service entrance that I have this large breaker and then I'm going to go up to the rooftop and then I'm going to have another panel board and that's going to have a whole bunch of breakers in it that go to individual string inverters that are up on the rooftop Let's see each of these string inverters are 60 kilowatts or something like that. Now that equipment has to be rated for the short circuit current available at that panel. Now we know it's going to be no more than 65,000 amps because 65,000 amps is at the surface. And depending on how far we've gone, what the size of the conductors are, there's very simple calculators and you can download them off the web. The actual calculations are very simple. There are Excel-based programs out there and you can actually calculate that current very accurately starting at 65,000 amps and you might say well by the time you get up to that panel board you're down to 25,000 amps okay well that's fine that equipment would only have to meet that 25,000 amp available fault current and then you go from there now the simple and easy way to do it where you don't even have to do a calculation is if your service equipment is 65,000 amps you just do everything downstream 65,000 amps it's going to be a little more expensive, but it certainly gets you out of the discussion. So no inspector could ever fail you for having the same rating downstream as your service equipment. That would be silly. They would clearly not understand the concept because it always goes down as you get away from the service equipment. So whether or not they accept your calculations or they may say, well, you're not an engineer. Well, typically an engineer is going to be doing this, but if they're doubting somebody's capabilities and being able to perform that calculation, then you just use the same rated equipment downstream. And that's true with residential as well. So let's go to residential calculations. And let's say the utility, a lot of utilities in the last several years, if it's a more recent service, would require 22,000 amp service equipment. So you look in your service equipment, 
You see it's 22,000 amp equipment. Regardless of how close your inverter is to that service equipment, if you use 22,000 amp equipment downstream, nobody can argue that it's not sufficient. Now, 10,000 amps is a very standard residential equipment. So if you were to choose 10,000 amp equipment and have 22,000 amp service equipment, that's going to cause a question. And the utility and the local jurisdiction would be correct in asking you, are you sure that that's enough? Show me the calculations. You will have to provide a calculation at that point. And if this isn't your strong suit and you don't want to provide that calculation, then put in 22,000 amp equipment. Done. So like what you're going to have is you're going to have that, that main breaker at somebody's house that's going to have the higher ampere interrupt rating. Mm-hmm. And then your load breakers just going to all the loads in your house are obviously lower than that. So the main breaker should catch all those high currents, right? The idea is that if the panel board, so going to your example, let's say it's a main service panel and it's got a main breaker that's 22,000 amp rated. And then all your breakers underneath that are typically, a lot of them are going to be 10,000 amps. That's a fairly standard one. The issue there is that if you have a fault in the service equipment, the main breaker is going to trip and it's going to be capable of handling the full fault current of the utility at that point. If you have branch circuits that are going to other parts in your house, the 10,000 amps may be sufficient because there's going to be lower fault current on those breakers. Now, that being said, just kind of thinking in my own mind, I think a lot of the 22,000 amp equipment that's out there, the breakers that they specify for those are also 22,000 amp breakers for the load breakers. So the real challenge only comes when you go downstream of that piece of equipment. And if you wanted to downgrade from the 22,000 amp equipment in your main service panel, you would have to prove that the currents downstream are low enough. And again, that would require doing the calculation and requires a significant amount of wire. And so we're not talking about 10 feet. We're talking about if you've got a number 12 conductor, it's a very small conductor, you take that probably 30 feet. That's probably enough to take 22,000 amps down to 10,000 amps. And we could play around calculator at the break sometime just to see how far you actually have to go with really small wire. It's not very far, Mm -hmm. but it's still not five feet. For instance, if you had an inverter sitting right next to a service equipment, then that fault current available to that inverter and the breaker that would be connected to it would have to be rated for typically that higher current value. So if somebody has like their inverter next to their main service panel next to the meter Mm -hmm. and they just go buy a regular old hardware store backfeed breaker, that might not be enough because it's only 10,000 amps? It may not be. So again, that's where you have to look inside the cover of the service equipment and actually it will often tell you that these are the breakers you have to use to maintain the 22,000 amp rating and that these would be acceptable for a 10,000 amp. So there may be a different model number of the breaker Mm -hmm. even. So when you get into the stuff that you go down to Home Depot and buy and stuff like that, that stuff will probably more likely be the 10,000 amp end of the spectrum. And you'd really have to pick through the stuff and read the fine print to determine whether or not it would have that higher fault current rating. So the good news is that most of the services in the United States are 10,000 amps. That being said, you know, I've got clients right now that I'm working with where all of their stuff in the last 10 or 15 years has been rated at up to 22,000 amps. And so they're very focused on this very issue because it's problematic because it's not a simple thing of just throwing in a Home Depot panel or Lowe's, you know, going down to Lowe's and getting the panel, you got to select the right one. So how do you recommend that somebody even finds out what the 
ampere interrupt rating is or how many amps could come at you from the service? The easy way, I love to do things dumb and easy because I'm dumb and simple. So you walk up to the service panel and if equipment on the service panel has the rating on it, you use that as gospel. That's it. Regardless of whether the utility brought you a 10,000 amp service, if the electrician that built that service put in 22,000 amp equipment, you use 22,000 amp equipment. If they put in 10,000 amp equipment, you use 10,000 amp. You can use whatever you want, essentially, because the minimum is going to be 10,000 amps. Hmm. And so the basic, simple approach is always look at the service. Now, if it's a new service, the utility is going to give you that number. Or they're going to tell you our service will not exceed 9,000 amps or whatever. Okay, now I know I can use anything I want. Or they'll say, you know what? Our service could be as high as 16,000 amps. Okay, well then I have to buy a piece of equipment that's at least 16,000 amps. And it goes from 10 to 22. That's the rating jump. So it's really only an issue in my mind for residential. It's only an issue on new services or upgraded services. If somebody was going from a 100 amp service to a 200 amp service, you'd have to get that data. And that's something that the utility freely gives you as information in a service upgrade. That's part of the cost of the process is you ask them for the maximum short circuit current and they will tell you. Whereas to ask the utility on an existing service, what is actually your short circuit current? You're gonna get the runaround and it's gonna take you a while to get that information. In my mind, it's not worth the time or the effort because the difference in cost between 10,000 and 22,000 amp equipment it is not enough to warrant your time to go to the utility to get that information. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth it. So that's where you have to kind of back up and say, why do I really need this information? Well, I need, really need this information so I can save $25 on the cost of a panel. In that discussion, you just wasted your $25. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, that's $100. Sir. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's relate that to a supply side connection. I know mm -hmm. that there's been a lot of changes between 2017 and 2020 NEC, mm -hmm. whereas in 2020 NEC, they just tell you for a supply side connection to go to 230 services. And I think you said they're probably going to change that back. Well, there's going to be changes, but mm -hmm. let's just say it's like a service. Mm -hmm. And then if you went back to 2017 and earlier, it almost says that you don't have to worry about this stuff or do you? No, there's no case where you don't have to worry about this. Mm -hmm. So... Article 705 may not get specific about mm. short circuit current ratings in all cases. It does, however, in 705.20, when it talks about the disconnecting means, it does say the disconnecting means has to have sufficient short circuit current ratings. So that's in there. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about a supply side connection, again, you look at the service equipment and you match it. Okay. And if somebody says, well, you know, they might have changed things. Well, that would be a violation of the utility because the utility cannot up their short circuit current rating without replacing your equipment. Okay, so if they took it, if a utility, this would be a, a huge problem. If the utility took it on themselves to change their short circuit rating above 10,000 amps and not notify the customer, they would be in serious liable situation because they could actually burn somebody's house down. And yeah, if it was- We've never seen a utility do that. No. Yeah. And if it was proved that they changed their short circuit current rating and they didn't tell the customer, and essentially they'd have to pay the customer to do that if they did it on their own accord, then they would be in a heap of trouble. So they generally don't do that because it's not in their best interest to do that. So again, you look at a piece of equipment, it's 10,000 amps. 
If I'm going to do a supply side connection, I'm going to use 10,000 amp equipment all day long. I can essentially use anything I want that is properly rated from the standpoint of the current of the service. So if I need a 100 amp piece of equipment or I need a 200 amp piece of equipment or whatever, that's what I'm worried about because the residential standards don't go any below 10,000 amps. So we start with that. If the equipment is 22,000 amps, again, I'm always going to choose the same number. And I'm not going to waste my time trying to get that data from the utility. So for an energy storage system, you pretty much have a battery management system in there that's going to protect you already, correct? On the DC side, you're saying? Is that what you're asking about? Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, the DC side or even, I guess, the AC side would just be rated for, you just find it in the rating, right? Yeah, so what you got to remember with energy storage, every energy storage system out there, whether it has a DC output or an AC output, the DC side of that equipment is going to have some kind of a short circuit rating, all right? Now, the nice thing about UL9540 is that part of UL9540 is to ensure that the inputs, that anything that comes out of the battery, the inverter would be capable of handling. Now, in fact, at the recording of this little discussion we're having here, those standards are actually changing and being upgraded and improved in that very area that we're talking about because the standards are not great on the DC side. So like we've got the LG Chem 10 kilowatt wall mounted battery that is used very commonly with the solar edge inverter. The short circuit current coming out of that LG Chem battery, which is limited through a DC to DC converter, which most people don't know, the solar edge inverter would have to be able to handle that capability. That's not a big deal because it's got a DC to DC converter in it. But the DC to DC converter inside the LG Chem, of course, has to be rated for whatever the short circuit current of the battery is. So when you have a DC output, it's actually can be kind of confusing because we got a 400 volt DC output coming from this LG Chem battery, but people think, oh, wow, I've got a 400 volt LG Chem lithium ion battery connected to my inverter and that thing could just French fry my inverter in a fault. And the answer is no, it can't. Why not? It's like, well, it's got lithium ion batteries sitting right there. Those lithium ion batteries are not at 400 volts. They're 48 volts. And you got this big ass DC to DC converter in that sucker. And that's the same thing actually with Tesla. They have similar kind of a configuration, but that's all internal to their unit now. So there was the Powerwall one, which was a DC output, had a DC converter in it. And you got the Powerwall two, which actually has the DC converter and the inverter all built into this one box now. And now all you have is AC output, both units, The DC one and the AC one had very low fault currents, actually, because they were going through conversion devices. They were going through electronic converters to get to the inverter. A 48-volt lithium-ion system that has no converter on it whatsoever, and that sucker is connected directly into the inverter. This is an Outback Skybox system, and the Outback Skybox could be connected to a 48-volt lithium-ion battery or 48-volt lead acid battery both of which have enormous fault current capabilities somewhere between the 5 to 10,000 amp range okay so now the breakers that are inside this skybox have to be listed and rated for that very high fault currents and recurrent yeah that's right they're dc rated and they have to be able to handle if there was a fault inside the unit being able to trip the breaker with that high fault current so what do those breakers go for kind of expensive Yeah, I mean, they're definitely more expensive breakers, for sure. But it comes down just the specifics or the specifications of the equipment. So we have run-of-the-mill and breakers and things like that that 
may have both DC and AC ratings on them, but the DC ratings are probably going to be fairly low and the AC ratings are going to be moderate, whereas this stuff that's designed for DC is very specifically designed. And again, when you get back to 9540, that's one of the benefits of it. And if understanding what inverter is designed to connect to is important. If I were to connect a 400 volt lithium ion direct battery to a solar edge or a gin long inverter or something like that, it would French fry the inverter in a fall. It would probably catch it on fire. I thought we changed the term to freedom fries. Freedom fries. Thanks for listening. And to learn more about the sun and everything else, go to solarsean.com.